In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Guys, if you want to change your life, change your relationships. Mm -hmm. And don't be afraid to break up with some of your buddies. Some of you need to disassociate. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. From Men in the Arena, it's Equipping Men in 10. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. This is Equipping Men in 10, as you know, because you hear the voice of my co-host and friend, Dale Culver. How you doing, man? Doing most excellent. Sweet. So as the guys are learning, you're not on the interview episodes anymore. You're the one behind the scenes making it all happen and go smoothly. And we just need to do that to have more of a level of excellence. But you are uh, here every week with me doing the Equipping in 10. So welcome. Thank you for welcoming me. Yep. I was just kidding. What's your man word? (laughs) You're just kidding. You're not welcoming me? No. Okay. My man word is uh, strategic. And, oh, interesting. And I was just thinking about this uh, as having kids almost grown up, um, and, well, all of them are out, half of them are out, I guess you could say. So looking back in life, it would have been better to be more strategic from day one so that you could plan ahead and set your family up for more success. So if I would have been more strategic in life, like planning for the future, planning how you're going to parent – Planning all these things, um, I think, would help parents better. Planning for retirement, all that. These are a lot of things that you think about as you get closer to older age. But mm-hmm. when you're younger, you, a lot of times you don't strategize well enough. No, and that's the hard part is we see clarity looking backwards, right? Yeah. So hindsight is twenty twenty. So that's why we do this podcast so guys can go, Yeah, man, I need to think about how I'm going to navigate and lead my family for the next 25 years, even before that happens. How am I going to nurture my wife's heart? So yes. in 25 years, her and I are closer than any other person on the planet. You know, How do I nurture my kids? How do I lead? What am I going to do about the local church? What am I going to do about finances? What am I going to do about yes. career? So I think that's really important. It has nothing to do with my podcast today. No, but it's actually. Really, I was really just good. thinking about our yeah, audience. No, no that I think we that's have really good. And going, man, are these young guys that are listening to this. Please be strategic in life. Yeah, when a man gets it, everyone wins. And one of the it's is understanding the future and strategizing because women aren't naturally wired for big picture stuff. They're unbelievable at the micro managing side mm-hmm. of things. They're just so gifted. We just need, we're, they're so important to us. 
but we're great at seeing out out in the future and right. we need to leverage our strength as men. So I want to get into the meat of the podcast today, which is uh, going off of chapter 11 of my book, The Full Capacity Man. This chapter is titled The Good Man, No More Mr. Nice Guy. And one of the things I want to tell you, one of my favorite movies is Steven Spielberg's uh, 1998 film, Saving Private Ryan. The opening scene is epic, but at the end of the scene, after a ferocious combat sequence, mortally wounded Captain Miller, played by Tom Hanks, yeah, feebly utters to Private James Ryan, who they ha- had spent the whole movie trying to find, he utters right before his death, James, earn this. Earn it. Then the movie fast-forwards to James Ryan as an old man going into the cemetery, finding Captain Miller's grave, falling to his knees and says this. He says, he's speaking to Miller's uh, headstone. My family is with me today. They wanted to come with me. To be honest with you, I wasn't sure how I'd feel coming back here. Every day I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I tried to live my life the best I could. I hope it was enough. I hope that, at least in your eyes, I've earned all that you've done for me. His wife approaches from the back. Ryan turns to his wife, and she, he says with tears in his eyes, tell me I've led a good life. And she says, what? And he says, tell me I'm a good man. And honestly, that's the question mm. that... Men ask all the time, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. The problem, Dale, in the church, we somehow equate goodness with niceness. In other words, Mm -hmm. if I'm just nice, that means good. And I would just say, first of all, that couldn't be further from the truth. Second of all, the word nice is not found in the Bible anywhere. In fact, if you look at Ezra 4.19, uh, the Jews, it t- describes the Jews as an insolent people. Uh, 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 they were known as violent and aggressive. They were constantly at war. They were the furthest thing from nice, but they were God's chosen people. And so, and here's what people don't know. The word nice actually began as a negative term derived from the Latin necius, meaning unaware or ignorant. It's it's this <laughs> sense of ignorance. It's in other words, it, it finds its words, it, its roots in the word ignore. The nice guy ignores what's going on that he needs to deal with because instead of stepping into a situation that's evil or hateful or negative and making it good, he sits back anonymously and is nice, which is everything that our ministry opposes. In fact, Brendan Manning, in a book I've reread numerous times called The Ragamuffin Gospel, made this observation. Preoccupation, he says, with projecting the nice guy leads to self-consciousness, sticky pedestal behavior, and unfreedom in the iron grip of human respect. My friend Paul Coughlin, who we've had on the podcast twice so far in his book, No More Christian Nice Guy, says this, nice people actually oppose good people who rock the boat even when headed towards God's will. He continues, Nice people cannot and do not contend with injustice and its corresponding evil. Good people do. Again, Martin Luther King Jr. said it best and lived it well. He said, The ultimate tragedy is not the oppression and cruelty by the bad people, but the silence over that by the good people. You know, and it's funny, you know, in Romans chapter 3, we're reminded... All have turned away, and they together have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. Man, that's that's a little watered down. You don't hear that in a lot of churches today, do you? 
And so, you know, Dale, we have more information at our fingertips than we've ever had in the history of the world, yet we still have become ethically apathetic, morally confused, and biblically ignorant. You know, we are now in this world where we describe things as my truth, and if we my truth is not aligned with your truth, we cancel the person, mm-hmm. which is why I'm a viv, I'm an I'm an avid and, and avid adversary of critical race theory or critical social justice. I think that is uh, antithetical to Christianity, and that we need to stand up and speak about that and stop being nice and stop worrying about oh they're going to call me a misogynist or a racist. No, God's God does not need an adjective in front of justice. God's justice doesn't need it. And so we need to stand up as men and say, this is wrong. I'm not going to use phrases like anti-racist, white fragility, white privilege. Those are those are buzzwords for a religion that is spreading very fast across our world called critical race theory. And we have to stand up against that. And, and, and honestly, it's in the churches now. A lot of churches are saying, oh, I believe this. And no, and Black Lives Matter, that movement all caps, BLM, that movement actually is anti-Christ, anti-nuclear family, anti-God, and we just can't, as a church, allow that into our churches. We just can't. So, But that's not a very nice thing to do, Dale. Mm-mm. It doesn't sound nice, but that's what it is. It's, it's saying, I'm not going to be nice. I'm going to stand on goodness. I'm going to hate what is evil. And this movement is actually rooted in evil, ultimately. And I had a, a black man living in my house, so don't call me a racist. I had a black guy in my house for a year, a young guy, a great guy who who needed some help. So, you know, when we talk about this hating versus good versus nice, you know, hate is a strong word. But biblically, we're called to hate. That's what people don't understand. I mean, in Titus 1, 7, 8, the overseer must be above reproach, loving what is good. And the good, the word here is philagathos, which it, it, it means to support good people, good causes, and good ideas. To love good means requ- it requires that you also hate evil. You can't—I'm kind of ranting here, I feel—but you can't <laughs> You can't love good without hating evil. The two are hand-to-hand. God says, oh, well, God doesn't—God's a God of love. Well, God says, I hate divorce. God mm-hmm. has certain things—God hates injustice. God hates racism. God hates uh, babies getting aborted. God hates evil because God is good. And so this is really important. So this word philagathos, it's actually a compound word in the Greek. The compound word of phileo, meaning uh, the love, to love the brothers, a brotherly love, and agathos, meaning good. So it's loving what is good. It's a compound word. So that's what we're talking about here. So our friend Kenny Luck, in his book, Dangerous Good, which you can go back and listen to that podcast episode. He said this, The man of God is not a spectator to God's kingdom purposes being advanced on earth. God never intended his sons to watch the battle between evil and good. Listen to this. He expects us to fight for the good of our faith in the open. Mm. So this is an open war, Mm. men. We are in open war about we want to fight for good and fight against evil openly in full view on full display. That's how God wants to put his men out there on full display. Good men fight against evil because they diametrically oppose anything that stand in the path of good. Romans 12:21 says, "Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good." And then in Romans 12:9 it says, "Hate what is evil." cling to what is good. And this is so 
powerful to me. Even even Voltaire, who lived from 1694 to 1778, was a staunch antagonist of Christianity. And he even said this, every man is guilty of all the good he did not do. So even this non-Christian guy is saying this. William Barclay defined this Greek word philagathos as a word which means either someone who loves good things, who loves good people, and who loves good actions. So I want to unpack what that means. So when we talk about being a good man, we're talking about good things, good people, and good actions. These three things. That's what good is. So under good things, C.S. Lewis wrote in the Chronicles of Narnia, of uh, the book entitled Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Susan learns about Christ's representation, Aslan, from Mrs. Mr. Beaver, who says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? Shall I feel rather nervous around meeting a lion? And Mr. Beaver says, safe? <laughs> who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Mm. And in Mark 10, 17 and 18, we read this. As he, Jesus, was setting on his journey, a man came up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And that's what we're talking about. Associating yourself with good things. What are the good things in life? Uh, these good hobbies, these good pleasures, these, these, uh, these things in our life that make us better pursuing those things. Number two, good people. So Dale, I've been in full-time ministry since 1990 with teenagers for 20 plus years, currently with men. And if I could unlock one secret, so throw the Bible away for a second, throw prayer away, throw church away. If I could throw one thing into the mix that would transform the lives of children, teenagers, and adults throughout life, it would be this. It's about getting around good people. You know, Paul was right when he warned us in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. I love Hebrews 10, 23, and 25. We have a lot of guys uh, who are involved in our ministry through some aspect or another that aren't involved in a local church. And I just think that's a massive miss. And when people ask me why, I say, well, because God calls us to good, to be around good people. He calls us to a devout life, which is doing things religiously. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, it says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to spur one another on through love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as some were in the habit of doing, but encourage each other, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We have to associate with good people. Jesus, last some of his last words to the disciples were, this is how they, the world, will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. In other words, if you love other believers. And so it's so important. One of my heroes uh, is Booker T. Washington. In fact, I'm going to name a dog after him. I just I just love this name. I, I, this guy was amazing, amazing story. He lived from 1856 to 1915. He said something so, so powerful. I wish our modern men could understand what he said way back then. He said, associate yourself with people of good quality, for it is better to be alone than in good company. And of course, we know the association principle is Birds of a feather flock together, like begets like. You will become like those you hang out with. Guys, if you want to change your life, change your relationships. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to 
break up with some of your buddies. Some of you need to disassociate mm-hmm. because you're wondering why you're looking like a pigeon or a chicken in the chupa chicken cook and not flying with eagles. Well, it's because you're hanging out with a bunch of chickens. And so it's so important that we, I mean, friends for me are so utilitarian. I mean, I, I mean, I want to give to a friendship. I want a friendship to give to me. And if I have a friend who's a liability, he will not be in my inner circle. Only assets are allowed in my inner circle. I'm very selective with my friendships because our time is limited, right? We don't have time mm-hmm. to waste with guys that aren't going to elevate us. So the third thing about good is this, guys, good actions. Now, I, I've told this story before of Theodore Roosevelt when he was at Harvard University. He was at Harvard attending schools and undergrad. So this is a 20-year-old man, 19-year-old man. He's teaching Sunday school. He, he's teaching Sunday school. A young boy walks into the class. He's got a black eye. Theodore Roosevelt says, what are you doing with a black eye? And he said, well, there's a bully who was picking on my sister. And so I jumped in to defend her, and the guy gave me a black eye. So Theodore Roosevelt, the Sunday school teacher, gave the guy a dollar. Hey, great job, man. Here's a dollar. When the superintendent found out about it, he kicked Teddy Roosevelt out of Sunday school. He was never allowed to teach Sunday school again. And Teddy Roosevelt, probably looking back on that time period, described Christian men as this, quote, They were very nice, very refined, who shook their heads over political corruption and discussed it in drawing rooms and parlors, but who were wholly unable to grapple with real men in real life. Mm -hmm. In other words, they were nice, Mm -hmm. but they weren't good. They were intellectually sharp, but weak, soft, and could not keep pace with what Roosevelt called real men. And I believe it's because the church rewards nice, refined, intellectual men and is intimidated by men who are kinesthetic, blue-collar, and sometimes rougher around the edges. We've bought the lie that goodness and niceness are synonymous. We are so weak. We won't even deal with contradictions anymore. We just cancel them. This canceled Mm. culture—I've canceled cancel culture, by the way. They've been canceled. I'm not going to—this is just a joke to me. We are so weak, we can't even deal with people that oppose us. We just cancel them. It's crazy. So, Dale, that's that's my—when I look at this good thing, it's about hanging out with good people, believing and investing in good things, and doing good actions. It's overcoming niceness. It's repenting of niceness to be good. So, Dale, what's up, man? Take us home. Yeah, guys, we want you to head on over to our website at meninarena.org. Grab your free electronic version of Jim's newest book, Tell them what great fathers tell their sons and daughters. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. 
What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.